We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. Trump Gold. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Was blind, but now 
Jong-un is the strongest person in the world. Why? Because he's holding 23 million people hostage. But Kim's greatest fear is an uprising of his own people. These words were spoken this past Friday by a defector from North Korea speaking at the Rayburn House on Capitol Hill. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. This is Alexandra Greenlee. I'm filling in for Pastor Ray Greenlee today. And I have a very exciting program for you. Some of you may have missed hearing me on the air. Part of what I've been doing is attending a lot of events, including this past week, I was at the 16th annual North Korea Freedom Week, which is organized by the North Korea Freedom Coalition in cooperation with the Defense Forum Foundation and Christian Freedom International. The theme of this year's North Korea Freedom Week was Hear the North Korean Defectors, Then You Will Know the Truth. Their theme last year was The Truth Will Set You Free, the famous words of Jesus, but they found that there was still so much confusion about what was really happening inside of North Korea after that 15th annual week. So this week, this year, they decided to invite a number of defectors who now live in South Korea to come to the United States and share their stories. So that's what I'll be doing today. But first, I want to provide a little bit of context for you. As I mentioned on Friday, one defector said that Kim Jong-un is the strongest person in the world because he's holding 23 million people hostage. He said this at a panel forum, a forum actually, after a panel at the Rayburn House. And what was so interesting is I've never seen this before. I've been involved in a lot of Christian activism, street preaching, protesting, pro-life work. But this was the first time where I saw somebody testifying to members of Congress and then walk out and go protest outside the Chinese embassy. And I thought that was really great. Because a lot of times it's just one or the other. So that's what I thought was so exciting. The woman organizing a lot of it is Suzanne Schultz, who started the Defense Forum Foundation. So as I mentioned, a group of North Korean defectors flew over for a week from South Korea. And they prepared for this week with a lot of prayer and fasting. I think probably every single one of these defectors is a Christian. And a theme you'll notice as I share their stories is that They first chose to leave North Korea because they realized they'd been lied to. And after they escaped and arrived in China, some of them Vietnam, they met Christians. And the Christians were the ones who helped them get to South Korea and shared their faith with them. So for me, the week was extremely encouraging. I think I've never seen such a dedicated and determined group of Christians as I've seen in these North Korean defectors. You might think that they would escape from North Korea and say, okay, I'm just going to go and I'm free and I'm going to live a normal, wonderful life. But that's not what they've done. They've devoted their lives to helping other North Koreans, one, get out of North Korea, but two, actually go through the defection process to become citizens of South Korea, which is more complicated than I'd realized, and also expensive. So the defectors were very inspiring to me. 
and they were so happy they were snapping pictures of themselves in front of the capitol building and yet they're engaged in some of the most uh, we would call it the Christian warfare. They're involved in some of the most front lines work that I see going on today in the church. So those organizations, again, if you would like to support these North Korean defectors, they have started together 34 different NGOs, and each one is doing something a little bit different. But your bridge to those organizations, you can go to nkfreedom.org. That's nkfreedom.org, which is the North Korea Freedom Coalition. You can also go to christianfreedom.org. That's christianfreedom.org. That's Christian Freedom International. They work internationally, not just in North Korea, but with other countries. But they hosted the worship service on this past Sunday, not yesterday, but the, the week before with the defectors. You can also go to defenseforumfoundation.org. And I'll give those sites out again later. So let's get into the exciting stuff. So before I share the stories about these defectors, let me just give you a little bit of context about North Korea. So the current capital city of North Korea is Pyongyang. And in 1945, Pyongyang had a thriving Christian community that had been founded on revivals of the previous decades. There is an excellent short book written about those revivals. The book is called Pyongyang Revival, Will the Holy Spirit Visit Us Again? by Daniel M. Weaver. And there was huge revival in what is now North Korea in 1906 and 1907 with the result being that by 1945, over 25% of people living in Pyongyang were Christians. There were so many Christians there that it was called the Jerusalem of the East. So after World War II, a ceasefire was ordered along the 38th parallel, which is now the DMZ. At that point in 1945, the USSR controlled North Korea and the United States controlled South Korea. The United States and the United Nations both wanted an independent, united, and democratic Korea. However, the negotiations stalled out because they couldn't reach an agreement with the communists who wanted a communist Korea. In 1946, people in South Korea started to pressure the United States to create an independent Republic of Korea in the South because at that point they were still under United States rule. So finally... In 1947, the UN passed a resolution that free elections should be held in Korea, but the Soviet Union would still not cooperate, so elections were held only in South Korea. And on August 15, 1948, the Republic of Korea officially took power in place of the U.S. military. Now, at the same time in 1948, the Kim regime came to power in North Korea, and the Kim regime is now in its third generation. It's a family, the Kim family. The Korean War of 1951 to 1953 began in response to North Korean invasions of the South. And at the end of the war, policymakers intended to reconvene, reconvene within 90 days to solve what they called the Korean problem, meaning the division of Korea. And what they wanted to achieve, again, was a united, independent, democratic Korea. 
but 66 years have gone by and we still have not found a solution to what they called the Korean problem. Now the Kim regime maintains as much control possible over its citizens and they do this in two ways. They do it through ideology and they do it through force, through military force. So after the Kim regime came to power in 1948, they began a systematic extermination of Christians. Their goal was to wipe Christians out of North Korea because they are seen as hostile to the state. So today, Christians in North Korea are forced into labor camps. If they find out you're a Christian, this is what they do to you. And they don't just do it to you, they do it to your entire family. Christians are forced into labor camps, murdered, tortured, starved on purpose, beaten, used as medical test subjects, and raped. Women undergo forced abortions, including one woman who was beaten with a baseball bat by a North Korean soldier until she miscarried. Another woman went, underwent a medical abortion with no anesthesia. There are other severe human rights violations happening today in North Korea. Babies are drowned in buckets. Christians are hung on crosses over fires, crushed alive under steamrollers, or trampled to death. So as of today, it's hard to get estimates on the total number of Christians in North Korea, but estimates are that Christians comprise only now 1% of the population and they're sometimes called catacomb Christians because they form a secret underground church. When North Koreans are born, they're automatically classified by the government into one of three social classes, and this is based on who their relatives were. So if you had family members who were in the military or in the government, you get put in the friendly class, where you're considered friendly to the government. If you had relatives who were Christians or who defected, you're put into the hostile class. And then there's another class that's in the middle. Christians, as I said, are considered hostile to the government. And because the government controls the allocation of resources, most people in the hostile class starve to death often. It's estimated that anywhere between 40% and 80% of North Korea's population is starving, and this is a deliberate choice that the government is making. The North Korean government does have the money and the resources to feed all of its people, and they deliberately choose not to. Another bit of information that you'll need for context for these stories I'm about to share. So every person in North Korea is assigned a government job, with fixed pay, regardless of how hard they work, and government rations, which often don't come through. But when women marry, they no longer have to report to their government job, and this has led to the creation of over 400 markets in North Korea, which is increasing access to outside information. So this is really critical, because the Kim regime, as you'll see, is weakening and will fall through the efforts of Christians. And it is weakening largely because of radio broadcasts into North Korea from South Korea, as well as CDs, DVDs that are smuggled into North Korea. And 
cell phone access is improving to the point that now they can get outside information. So this is weakening the government control over the minds of North Koreans. And when I say over the minds of North Koreans, I'm referring to the ideological system called Juke, which literally means self-reliance. And it's a system that everyone in North Korea is taught is the truth and they're raised in it. So it makes the Kim family into God. And they deliberately replace the Christian Trinity with the Kim family. So instead of God the Father, there's Kim Il-sung. Instead of God the Son, there's Kim Jong-il. And instead of the Holy Spirit, there's Kim Jong-soko. And just as in Christianity, we read the Bible and we confess our sins to God and to one another, in the Juke system, they're supposed to follow the teachings of Kim, which he's written down, and confess their shortcomings to one another. The North Korean government requires all men to serve 10 years in the military and all women to serve seven years. And the stories I'm about to read are actually from three people, one woman and two men, who were in the military in North Korea and who experienced human rights violations themselves. So this is what's so fascinating is often when we think of the North Korean military, we think about what they're doing to other people. And we don't realize that the people in the military themselves are also subjected to human rights violations. So the first story comes from a young woman named Choi Yujin. She defected in 2016. She was a nursing officer for six years in the Spring Guard, which is the division of the North Korean military that cares for the Kim family. So she said that at age 14, she met with North Korean officials for every month for physical tests. She lived in the village, not in Pyongyang, and it, she considered it an honor to be considered to join this Spring Guard. So she was scoped out, and beginning at the age of 14, these officers would come every month to do a physical exam. They told her not to date anyone. They said, if you date anyone, it will ruin your purity. They told her, don't put any scars on your face. Perform well in school and in every area of your life. And don't watch any South Korean dramas. So this was difficult for Choi Yujin. But she really wanted this position. She really wanted to become a nursing officer in the Spring Guard. So she followed all the rules. And when she graduated from high school, the soldiers came to do a final checkup. One of the soldiers used his hand to measure her face. He checked the length from her chin to her nose, from her nose to her ear. He checked a couple different measurements of her face to make sure that it was even. The soldiers also did genetic testing, tested her for tuberculosis, and had her go to a gynecologist. So she passed all these tests, and she was allowed to go to Pyongyang. She gathered together with her family and friends, and they had a big party to send her off. And she went to the outskirts of Pyongyang for several months. She's fresh out of high school at this point. 
She entered the training school for spring guard nursing officers, and she said this was a very difficult time of her life because she was surrounded by wealthy, well-connected people, the other students. And she was just from the countryside, so she would be at school, and on the weekends, these black cars would pull up, and parents would get out and pick up their wealthy kids, and she would just be there by herself. So she compensated. She decided, okay, well, I don't have those connections, but I'm going to try really hard so that I can graduate as an honor student. Which she did. She did graduate as an honor student. So after graduating, she studied general surgery for one month, and she also studied what's called special treatment for one month. What's interesting about the Spring Guard Hospital is unlike most hospitals in North Korea, because the Spring Guard Hospital serves the Kim family, they have access to U.S. medicines. They have access to high-end devices that we would have in our own hospitals. So she was assigned to the special treatment department, and she wasn't allowed to ask any personal information about the patients. They all had an alias that they used. So she wasn't allowed to ask the patient's real name or find out what their rank was. Choi said that at first she was very excited about the job. But after a few months, she says, things started to get harder and she noticed that something was wrong. One day she was in the hospital and another nurse who worked there was crying. All day she kept crying. And so Choice went and asked her, she said, what's wrong? Why are you crying? Well, the nurse told her that one of her jobs, besides being a nurse, was she was assigned to keep the Kim family home clean all year round. And when the family came home either one or two times each year, they expected sexual favors from her. So Choi didn't have any choice but to do it. So that's why she was crying. Choi's friend didn't have any choice, I mean. So this woman really wanted to leave. The nurse really wanted to leave. So what Choi did was helped her get in touch with her family and get a false medical report. So in North Korea, you can't just leave your job because you want to. So she had to be discharged. Her plan to be discharged was to say she had an autoimmune disease, got a false medical report, and after about a year, she was finally discharged. So after this nurse left, Choi really started to worry about what her own future was going to be. She didn't know if this would happen to her, something similar would happen to her. And there was another incident that really put her over the edge. A soldier came in, a female soldier, and it was in winter. So she had a very thick winter uniform on. But she had been bleeding so much that the entire uniform was saturated. So they came and they rushed her into the surgery room, but there was so much blood they couldn't even do surgery. They had to give her medication to stop the bleeding. And it was she was bleeding from her uterus. So what they discovered was she had been four months pregnant and miscarried. So as she's going about to go through surgery, she's already been given this medication to stop the bleeding. The doctor starts saying things to her like, you should take care of yourself and this wouldn't happen. 
he started to blame her for the miscarriage. So Choi was talking to the woman, and what she found out was the soldier who was having the miscarriage wanted to become a party member in the Workers' Party of North Korea. But she couldn't get in. So she let a current party member rape her in order to get access and she became pregnant and tried to hide it by putting a belt over her stomach every day. And eventually she had a miscarriage. She finally was dishonorably discharged after the surgery, was never able to get into the workers' party as she had wanted to. And for Choi, this was really the turning point where she said, I have to get out. I can't be in the military. I can't be in the spring guard. She recognized that something would happen to her. So she started to talk to her family. She called her dad. Now, it took some time, but her dad was able to come up with an excuse to bring her back home. Before she left, her family had been very wealthy. Her dad had their own business. They had a house. But when she got back, she discovered that everything they'd owned was, was gone. The business had gone under. Her dad had a bad business partner who said, well, just sell your house and give me the money and the business will turn back around, which it never did. So her family was actually living in a janitor's office at a factory building when she came back. But she felt that this was still better than being as a nursing officer in the North Korean military. Of course, the military started to put pressure on her dad to send her back. And her dad was so stressed by the military that he had a heart attack and passed away. The military continued looking for her, and her mother suggested that they commit suicide together. Now, I just want you to stop and think about this, that when these women are thinking about their future, they know that they are going to be subjected to such horrific treatment that they would rather commit suicide than be at the mercy of the North Korean military. So her mother got the drugs to commit suicide and had her daughter take it first. So her daughter took the drug and fell to the ground and her mother panicked. So her mom went and called the neighbors for help, but they couldn't get an ambulance. Finally, they somehow made it to the hospital and her mom had taken the drug as well. So after two weeks, Choi woke up in the hospital. And after one week, her mom had woken up. But when they woke up, they realized that the house where they'd been saying, staying, the janitor's room in the factory had been demolished. All their belongings were thrown on the street. So Choi tried to cut her wrists. She was unsuccessful, and she tried three more times to commit suicide. So finally, she said, well, I haven't been able to end my life, so I think this is a sign that my, my time is not yet here to die. So she decided to defect to China. To this day, she still has illness from the suicide drugs that she took. And she was not able to take her mom with her. Her mom stayed in North Korea. So she made it across to China, 
called her mother. But her mom refused to go to China, and she said, I will stay here and bear the burden for you. I want to be buried next to my husband. In North Korea, if someone in the family defects, they will often kill other members of the family as punishment. Now, it's very difficult once you flee from North Korea, because at that point you're a refugee. And she was picked up by a human trafficker who was keeping her on the second floor of a house. She didn't have clothing. All she had was shoes and a pair of stockings. No pants. So she was in this room and she heard the broker on the phone. And the broker was saying that he was going to sell her kidney. And when she heard that, she was so upset, she started to cry. And she blamed her parents for giving birth to her. She said, well, I can't stay here. So she leapt out of the second floor window with only a pair of stockings and shoes on. And it was the middle of winter. It was actually early March, she said. And she hid in the cornfield for three days. Afterwards, she found a church that helped her escape to China. And she says, through the prayers of the Christians in that church, I safely arrived in South Korea. She was able to go through the defection process. That, again, is the story of Choi Yujin, which she shared this Friday at the Rayburn House during the 16th annual North Korea Freedom Week. She was a nursing officer in the North Korean military who defected in 2016. I'm going to share another story, but first I'd like to give you the websites again. You can find more information at North Korea Freedom Coalition, that's nkfreedom.org, the Defense Forum Foundation, that's defenseforumfoundation.org, or the Christian Freedom International website, which is christianfreedom.org. The second man who shared is named Kang Ri Hyuk. He was also a member of the North Korean military. But he, unlike our first story, Choi, unlike Choi, he was born and raised in Pyongyang. His first day on the military base, he was very excited. He started in 2000. He, I'm sorry, he served until 2001. So he described his first day on the base. He was very excited because he thought, wow, I'm going to eat such good food now that I'm in the North Korean military. So he shows up to dinner and dinner was three spoonfuls of corn that had been cooked the day before and was swollen with water and cold. And then they had what was called soup. But it was just clear water. So that was dinner. And he discovered that this was dinner pretty much every day and that there was a severe food shortage in the military. The soldiers were extremely malnourished. And after some time, an epidemic swept through his unit and killed 90% of the soldiers. Now, what did his higher-ups tell him? His higher-ups said, well, soldiers from South Korea sent rats and the rats spread an epidemic to kill us because they want to destroy socialism. But later he discovered there were no rats. 
And in fact, there was an epidemic because the soldiers ate spoiled food. So after that, the soldiers began to sneak into the cornfields. And it's sort of, you know, like in Leviticus where it talks about the gleanings for the poor. That's what they were doing. They would go into the cornfield after the harvest and they would just look for one ear of corn that had fallen on the ground. And they would be thrilled when they found just one ear of corn. He described that there was constant beating and violence against the soldiers by fellow soldiers. He described one time he was asked by a, by a higher up to go into the kitchen and get something out of the cupboard. So he went in, opened the cupboard, and bowls of hot soup fell out onto his face and burned his face. And then he was blamed for it. And he was given double duty as punishment. He also described threats against one's parents being used to control the soldiers. So, for example, if a soldier, say, didn't want to do the double duty as punishment, they would say, well, if you love your parents, you're going to do it because the unspoken threat was otherwise we're going to go after your parents for your disobedience. So he felt that this was a really horrible situation, and he thought that if he could just be promoted, that it would get better. So this is interesting, right? Because he still has this loyalty and this allegiance to the North Korean government. At this point, he still thinks what they're saying is true. He thinks it's true that the reason why they need military, why they need nuclear weapons is to protect themselves from America and from South Korea, and that they're doing the right thing by fighting for their country. So in 2002, he was promoted to manage the artillery, and he was given a private room. So it seemed like things were improving for him. But the chief of staff got married, and then his wife got involved, and she told Kang to go steal a lost cow. One of the villagers in a village nearby to the military base had lost a cow, and in North Korea, if you steal a cow, it carries a death penalty. So the chief of staff's wife wanted him to go steal a cow so that he could sell it and she would get the money. Well, he said no. So then his wife asked another soldier to steal the cow and said, if you steal this cow, I'll give you Kang's position. So when Kang found out that that's what had happened, he went and beat up the other soldier because he felt that he had betrayed him by agreeing to go steal this cow in exchange for his position. A few months later, Kang went to an officer's school and there the students were asked by their professors to buy alcohol and cigarettes in exchange for good grades. Now the students of course didn't have any money to do this so they asked their parents for the money so they could buy the alcohol and the cigarettes and give them to their professors and in exchange they got good grades. So in 2008 Kang became an artillery officer and he still was appalled by the conditions on the base. He kept thinking okay if I just get this promotion or if I just go to this base then things will be better and what he discovered was no matter where he went 
there were horrible abuses and human rights violations happening. In 2010, the military, his unit was out in a, in a field for a firing drill. And one of the soldiers was so hungry that he just grabbed a frog that was hopping through the field and ate it raw and died within two hours. He said the man was so starved that he ate a poisonous frog. And then Kang actually had to talk to the man's parents. The man's parents came to him and they were crying. They were weeping. They were saying, you know, how could you let this happen to our son? Why weren't you taking better care of him? Why wasn't he being fed? And he said he really had nothing to say to them because he knew they were right. What could he say? It was so bad that many soldiers were shot to death while stealing food or they starved to death. They would steal food. They would steal ginseng from Mr. Kim's private ginseng field, which was supposed to be sold for his private fund. But they knew they would either starve to death or they would get shot stealing the ginseng. But at least if they tried to steal the ginseng and got it, they could survive. So they were willing to risk their lives to steal this stuff just so they could stay alive. He was still at this point holding out hope that the North Korean government really wasn't that bad. He was hoping to be promoted. But finally, his parents went missing and the government suspected that his parents had defected. So they discharged him saying that he was guilty by association and he was assigned to work in the post office. So he realized at this point that he had been lied to by the North Korean government, by his own government, because previously he had been told that he wasn't responsible for what his parents did. That's what he'd always been told in the military. And then when he was held responsible for what his parents did, he realized they were lying to him. He was charged with obstruction of justice by the North Korean government. And he realized that he couldn't keep living in North Korea. His whole world basically came down and he realized that everything he had been told by his government was a lie and he defected. He had to leave behind his two-year-old daughter and to this day he doesn't know what happened to her. His uncle was arrested and beaten to death because Kang defected. So this is what Kang had to say about it. He said, that's why I call Kim, Kim Jong-un, a murderer, because he beat my uncle to death. How can we have a dialogue with a murderer? I will keep doing this work until the regime collapses. That, again, was the story of Kang Ri-hyuk, a former artillery guard in the North Korean military who defected in 2013 and shared his testimony this past week on Friday at the Rayburn House downtown on Capitol. Again, I'm sharing three stories of North Korean defectors who flew in this week from South Korea to share their stories as part of the 16th annual North Korea Freedom Week. The theme was, listen to the North Korean defectors, then you will know the truth.
So that's what I'm sharing with you today. Now, I did want to share, before I do this final story, what the defectors are doing to bring down the North Korean government from within. This is really cool. This was the most exciting stuff I think I heard all week. So the North Korean defectors recognize that they are in a unique position because they know what kind of influence and what kind of information the North Korean people need in order to bring down the Kim regime. They don't think that war is the answer. They don't think that government negotiation is the answer. They think that the gospel and the truth to the North Korean people will actually bring down the Kim regime and will unite Korea. That it will solve what we talked about at the beginning of the broadcast, the Korean problem. So the defectors, they see it so clearly that the way to have a united, democratic, independent Korea is through the gospel of Jesus Christ and through the North Korean people knowing the truth. So this is how they're doing that. They're doing some really cool things. They're doing rice bottle launches. So I actually happened to sit next to the man who figured out the currents, the ocean currents. There's a place you can stand in South Korea where twice a year the tide is right that you can throw giant, maybe one and a half liter bottles filled with rice and it floats up to North Korea. And they fill the bottles with rice, sometimes with corn or potatoes, little memory USB sticks, and they cellophane wrap a New Testament, a Bible, to the outside of the bottle. And they float up, and the people in North Korea find it. And the North Korean government tries to discourage people from eating the rice by telling them that it's poisoned. So what the North Koreans figured out was, okay, let's feed the rice to the chickens. And they fed the rice to the chickens, and the chickens lived and got nice and fat. So they said, well, it must be good to eat this rice. So they see it very much, these defectors doing this work see it very much as providing for them physically and providing for them spiritually through these rice bottle launches. They also will float balloons into North Korea. And initially the balloons were getting shot by the military. So what they started to do was they put a picture of Kim Jong-un on the balloon because then the military can't shoot it. So they send these balloons over that have scripture or that have food in the balloon and the North Korean people can find them. They also broadcast from South Korea into North Korea. They run these broadcasts, radio broadcasts, I think 24 hours a day. And amazingly, they're funded primarily by Americans. So this is where it's really important and exciting for us. One of the defectors said, North Koreans are eating rice purchased for them by Americans. And another one said, North Koreans are hearing broadcasts paid for by Americans. And that's what's so exciting about this is that Christians around the world are getting together to help and to reach out with the love of Christ for these people. One of the things they do on this broadcast every year is the Congress people of America make recordings. They say, if you could say anything to the North Korean people, what would you say? 
some of the things our Congress people have said on these recordings are, you must rise up for your own freedom. Another one said, freedom is not free. Others have said that we love you. And several of the people in North Korea who heard these messages were so touched that they actually painted pictures of three of our Congress people. Now, if they'd been caught doing this in North Korea, they would have been executed. But they were so moved by these broadcasts because they said we'd always been told by our government that Americans hated us and that they wanted to wipe us off the planet. But we heard these messages and we realized that Americans love us and they want to help us. So they painted these three portraits and had them smuggled out of the country and delivered to those Congress people here in the United States. So these North Korean defectors are working to do this and they have a plan. It's a four-stage plan that they have. So their plan is to get all of the 34 North Korean defector organizations together to get them united and unified. After they do that, they're going to continue using the radio broadcasting, inside informants, balloon launches, rice bottle launches. There's also been a huge explosion in markets in North Korea, which has allowed more information to spread. So phase two of the plan is to get more information into North Korea so that the people know the truth about the regime. And what this will cause in step three is what they call a mass defection of the North Korean elites. In other words, their plan is to get so much truth into North Korea that the elite of North Korea, that friendly class, the military, the government, that they recognize the truth and they will in mass leave North Korea and defect to South Korea. And what that will do is it will open up the opportunity for step four, which is to connect with informants to form civil society or grassroots groups that will bring down the regime from within without war, without taking up arms, but peacefully. And this is just so exciting to me because these defectors actually think this can happen within the next few years. They are actively doing it. And they said the number one thing that you can do to help us is give us the resources. They say we have the plan, we have the connections, we have the people in place, but we just need the money, we need the financial resources to do it. And again, that first step is going to be getting those 34 organizations together under some kind of umbrella type organization or some kind of network where they can all coordinate their efforts to work together. The third story, I won't share it in full, but the third story shared on Friday morning was from a defector named Joe Young Hua, who was a former border lieutenant, and he defected in 2011. Again, I don't have time to describe his whole story, but he described a rather upsetting incident of a young man in the Korean military being forced to stand outside in negative 20 degree weather by his supervisors 
with only his underwear on. This was a punishment. And as a result, the man got frostbite and had to have all of his fingers and toes amputated. So Joe was in the military. He was able to bribe his way into getting advanced training and was in charge of customs. And in 2007, he was responsible for smuggling products out of North Korea into China. And he described how the North Korean government and the Chinese government cooperated in drug smuggling in particular. Twice a year, in the summer and in the winter, they would get a phone call saying, don't guard the border for the next two hours. So they would back off, and he could see trucks from North Korea filled with boxes cross over the border. The Chinese would unload them, and he'd see them carrying little plastic bags of drug powder. And then the Chinese would send over five black briefcases, presumably filled with cash, which would all go into Kim's private fund. So he was involved in this and said that it is actually still going on today. He was able to defect in 2011. He said he chose to leave partly because his grandparents were from South Korea, so he was dishonorably discharged, and also because he started to learn the truth about North Korea by watching South Korean shows that had been smuggled in. So he defected in 2011, came to South Korea in 2012, and he is now actually a reporter in South Korea. So he works on the radio as well as YouTube. If you want to look him up again, his name is Joe Young, just like J-O Young Hwa, H-W-A. So we have about five minutes left in the broadcast today. I wanted to share one more thing with you. These defectors, they gave an analogy, they compared the fall of North Korea to the fall of the Soviet Union. And they said that the Soviet Union also fell from the inside. They said, give so if you give support to the people of North Korea, the people will act together. One of the things that I heard multiple defectors say was part of their culture, this is how they said, Part of what it means to be a Korean is when they do something, they do it all the way. They're not halfway in, halfway out. And they describe this in relationship to their loyalty to the government versus their loyalty to Christ. And the defectors, those who, when they come to, when they finally see that they've been lied to by the government, they're out. They're not, they're not trying to cling to it in any way. They're done. And they are open to hearing the truth and to hearing about Jesus Christ. And then when they become Christians, they go all in and they devote the rest of their lives to freeing the people of North Korea, to helping the refugees go through the defection process, to getting these radio broadcasts in, to getting the food in. So again, you can follow up with this more by visiting christianfreedom.org that's Christian Freedom International's website you can also go to nkfreedom.org that's the website of the North Korea Freedom Coalition 
And if you're interested, there is this coalition actually hosts dinners once a month in Tyson's Corner with uh, interested Americans and with primarily North Korean defectors, but with Koreans who are working together to free North Korea. That again is nkfreedom.org, the North Korea Freedom Coalition. You can also go to the Defense Forum Foundation website, defenseforumfoundation.org. I want to thank you again. I know that some of you who've listened to this broadcast for some time have been inspired and have been blessed in your faith. And you've said, I really do want to get involved. I really do want to help others. And I hope that that out of this broadcast today, that you don't feel a sense of hopelessness or despair about North Korea, because that's not how these defectors feel. These defectors are brave people, and they know that the power of God is with them. One of the defectors said, I believe America was founded by God, and I believe Korea was founded by God, and God will bring down the Kim regime and bring into being a free, united Korea. So I praise God for that. I've never seen such a group of just alive, engaged, passionate Christians as I saw this past week. And I hope that their faith will be a blessing to you in whatever area it is that God has called you to work in. What's so exciting is the, the field is so large that there's a place for all of us. We don't have to all be involved in the same things. Thank you again. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Alexandra Greenlee, filling in for Pastor Ray Greenlee. He'll be back tomorrow. You can listen to this broadcast again by visiting nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search for National Prayer Chapel. Thank you, and God bless you. To him.